Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston this evening. I'm joined by Jordan, as you know, as Texans Thoughts, to talk about the Texans 2020 NFL Draft class. How are you doing tonight, Jordan? I'm doing pretty good, Matt. Pretty, pretty happy with the Texans draft. It, it could have gone worse. That's that's how I'm feeling. Um, what about you? How are you yeah. feeling? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, knowing the fact that there's a head coach, general manager in place, and there's been plenty of other bizarre decisions that have been made. Uh, overall, I feel fine with it. Like, I don't like, I'm not ecstatic. Um, I think it went, you know, well, I, I think overall, like it was, it was pretty fine. Like it's, it's not like it, some incredible piece of, you know, drafting or anything where like they get a plus grades and everybody loves their draft and kind of some that comes with not having that much capital, but I think they did a perfectly all right job. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the media is kind of killing us for a draft. Like I've seen us a lot, like getting pretty low grades. And I think a lot of that's due to the whole trade with Laramie Tunsil and that kind of taking away our first round pick and then maybe some questionable later round picks, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm pretty content with it. The first two picks I liked a lot. I thought we got really good value with, um, with Grenard in our third round pick, but yeah, I'm sure we'll go into, into greater depths of that later. Texans 2020 NFL draft class. They drafted Ross Blacklock in the second round, 40th overall. Jonathan Greener in the third round, 90th overall. Charlie Heck in the fourth round, 126. And John Reed in the fourth round, 141. Then they took Isaiah Coulter in the fifth round, 171. And then uh, I feel bad for the the strong souls that were able to you know watch the entire of the Houston's uh, Texans draft all the way into the seventh round. Only watch them trade out of it to the Saints and not make that pick at all. Um, that was, uh, I guess, some good trolling by the by the franchise by doing that. So we're going to kind of go in order here of the Texans draft class. The first pick, of course, is Blacklock. There is, you know, that rumor flying around that O'Brien was calling teams about uh, moving up in the first round. We talked about this last week, too, where it just more seems like whenever O'Brien does anything, like even looks at his cell phone, there's me reports coming out that O'Brien's looking to make moves and that sort of thing. But Houston stood still, and they took Blacklock at number 40. Uh, so have you come around to this pick at all since this pick was first made? I've come around to a little bit. I definitely wasn't a fan initially on draft night just because of how the board fell. And like we mentioned in the previous pod, it fell so perfectly for us. We had so many first round talents on the board, a lot of D line help and Blacklock. He just wasn't high up on my priority list. I would have, been, I would have been fine if he traded, if we traded down a little bit for him, maybe 10, 15 picks, picked up a third or fourth rounder and then took him. I think the value would have been better there. So I do think we reached a little bit, but in the end, at the end of the day, I get the kind of idea that we were going with. We needed to fill the hole that DJ Reader um, left, and Blacklock is an athletic interior defensive lineman. He plays a great pad level. He can deal with double teams. He can deal with single blocks and penetrate. And I just, I think he's a bit raw. I think he's not going to be as ready day one as fans hope you would get out of the 40th pick. But I do understand the logic behind it. I just wish it was a different interior defensive lineman or even a different player in general now, especially seeing the Tashawn Gibson release. I was I was a big fan of getting Grant Delpit at 40. I and he was there for us and it just it would have made a lot more sense, especially because we had to have known that Gibson wasn't 
going to be on the roster, especially with Bill O'Brien's comments before the draft. So I don't know. I guess I guess we went in that direction instead, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay with Blacklock. I'm not going to be furious about it. Yeah, and I know that you were really excited about Grand Delpit, and he went uh, to 44 to Cleveland, and also after the Texans drafted at 40, and he grabbed Jonathan Taylor, Jax Mill grabbed Ch- Chenault Jr., Larry from Colorado, Chicago got tied in and Cole Kemet from Notre Dame, Cleveland they got Delpit, and then safety Antoine Winfield Jr., and Marlon Davidson went 47 to Atlanta as well. Um, so, like, would you rather have Delpit at 40 than have Blacklock, especially considering this Gibson news? Yeah, even before the Gibson news, I was a big fan of Delpit, and now even more looking back on it, like, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, but I was still in that boat anyway, so I, I'm still going to take a victory lap on that one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I would have definitely preferred Delpit. I think he's just a better player overall, and I think when you're at 40, you really have to go best player. Yeah, well, the Browns take, you know, two of the players that we liked on this podcast. I know you like Delpit, and uh, we both really like Jordan Elliott, and Elliott went to them in the third round, too, and so... They kind of got so you can watch them in a in a different, I guess, color next year. Uh, I think the thing about this Blacklock trade that's weird is that like I liked his game at TCU. Like he has the best pad level I watched out of any of the interior defensive line prospects, and like the way TCU used him was kind of just like as a, I don't know, just kind of like as like a bomb. You know, he blow up and then guys are coming <laughs> after the fact and and make tackles after that. He just kind of like lined up off the center, got off the ball really low pad level. And just got into you know got, got into the center, got into the guard, and especially was really great splitting double teams and didn't allow offensive linemen to get hip to hip and drive him off the ball at all. And so he was able to you know, knife his way in the backfield and also create stalemates. And you know, he was able to do this despite being below three hundred pounds. And um, he allowed his linebackers to then you know go and miss a bunch of tackles after the fact. But um, <laughs> it was, it's just weird watching him because in the NFL, like it. Like he has to be used in a, in a certain way, you know. Like he can't be used like how DJ Reader was used last year. He can't be really used as a three-four defensive end unless you kind of like just do a one-gap scheme everywhere um, for that, or just like two-gap with the nose and then play one gap everywhere else. And I think if Blacklock is used primarily as just a one technique, uh, like how he was used last year, he'd be fine. But he needs to get stronger. He needs to you know gain some weight if he's going to be that typical you know text block take on outside the half. Uh, you know, sit still while the double team goes on until it leaves the second level, you know, slingshot the, the blocker and then make a play on the ball. Like he doesn't have the size to do that. Instead, he's just kind of this, you know, like I said, this bomb that goes off the line of scrimmage and, you know, creates havoc from there. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I don't really love his fit in our 3-4 scheme. Bill O'Brien, I think it was John McClain tweeted that uh, Bill O'Brien wants him to play a 3-4 defensive end at least at first. And like you said, he, he's a bomb. He's a, he plays a little out of control almost, where he'll he'll get real low, that's great, and then he'll kind of like explode into the offensive lineman, but he'll kind of just put his head down, and he won't like stack a block, and he won't find the ball and shed the block and make a tackle. And I think that's something that if he does play that 3-4 defensive end and they want to two-gap him, that's obviously the main thing that he's going to have to learn. But I have a little bit of confidence in Weaver and our D-line coach to – to teach him that because he taught DJ Reader real well to do that. Reader was pretty good at it in college already, but he helped him get better at that. He helped Dunn do that pretty well. So I have confidence in Blacklock. I think as long as he's a hard worker, which I'm sure he is because Bill Bryan drafted him, that he's going to develop into a pretty good player one mm-hmm. day. Um, the, the other thing too with him is he doesn't really rush the passer like how we want, like how, or how Houston mm-hmm. needs to have an interior pass rusher. Or, and like also like aside from Derek Brown, um, nobody and like Kimball, like nobody else really rushes the passer. Houston needs it. 
where they need somebody who can dent the last scrimmage and force quarterbacks to drop back deeper so then winning merciless can make an impact because you know, you pay winning merciless twelve million dollars a year, you know, his pass rush just needs to impact the defense. And so like Blacklock isn't like a consistent bull rusher. He doesn't dent the interior. Instead a lot of his pass rush came on stunts or he's just long arming I uh I described it as like a, a jouster. So he just uses his long arm as pad level and gets underneath guards and kind of goes from gaps to gap and stuns them and, you know, creates separation like that and then goes back to play the quarterback, which is like a really good trait to have. Um, you know, he's going to be really good on stunts, that sort of thing. But he's not going to be like an immediate one versus one, three technique versus a guard, interior rusher uh, who consistently can create pressure at all. I don't think he's going to be, I think he'll probably have like maybe three to four sacks this year. But they'll be kind of like off stunts if they do occur, and then uh, I don't I don't really see him creating for others as well too. So he doesn't really kind of feel he like he feels the position that the Texans needs like they need interior defensive linemen, but he doesn't play the game like how like it really makes sense and really fits for this defense. Yeah, I get that completely. The way I think about it is we drafted a run stuffer at forty, and that's really not a great in terms of value and that's another reason why i think we reached on blacklock is you can find run stuffers pretty late in the draft in your third or fourth fifth round picks and i just don't think we should have done that at 40 where you want to get your more valuable players your edge rushers your even your interior defensive linemen but ones that do pass rush and with guys like neville gallimore marlon davidson on the board i just thought that there are better options that we could have had that do rush the, the quarterback better yeah, yeah, I agree with that as well too. And you know, stopping the run really doesn't you know, matter at all, um, you know, whatsoever. As we've yeah. kind of learned the the previous years, like if you can't throw the ball, you're not gonna you you can't win a Super Bowl really at all um, anymore. And it's the most important part of the game is stopping the pass and throwing the football too. The that one thing I will say also about the Blacklock pick, like I'm fine with it. There are players that I liked more at that spot, you know, like even as far as the position they play, and even though they win the third round. Like, I like Elliott more. I like Gallimore more. Um, but more than anything, I'm just really happy the Texans didn't take Epineza, who went to uh, <laughs> Buffalo. And I'm really happy they didn't take Terrell Lewis, who went the third round to the Rams. And yeah. Like, just because it wasn't those two guys who I was concerned with Houston drafting, I was better than pick because I just think both those guys just are kind of, you know, whatever. And, um, and it makes sense kind of like why they fell a little bit more, you know. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think they met with Terrell Lewis the most, and then Justin Matabuike from Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Texas, Texas A&M? Yeah, I think so. He went to those are the two. Yeah, those are the two big names that they kind of met with. So I was really, and I didn't like either of their tapes. I thought they were extremely consistent. So yeah, just like you, I would, I would have been really upset if they took either of them. And so yeah, they didn't take any of them. They didn't take a running back. So you know, at least they addressed the position of need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Matabuike is gonna be really good in Baltimore just because it's like them drafting, they drafted Raekwon Davis. It's like, just give him a big guy who has a a build and then they'll be able to turn him into, you know, some purple monster. And they've done that for the last, you know, 20 years or so consistently. So I can see that happening in Matt Bouquet, even if like we talked about before, like his splash plays there, but just not consistently play to play. Um, And so also the last thing with the Blacklock pick, is it also, signified the end of the DeAndre Hopkins trade. So Houston trade Hopkins for mm. Brandon Cooks, David Johnson, now Ross Blacklock. Uh, so which would you rather have, Hopkins or Cooks, Johnson, and Blacklock? <sighs> we all know the answer to this. I just I just don't understand how you can trade. For my money, the top wide receiver in the league, I think it's undisputable that he's at least top five. But for that little of trade value, it's just crazy to me. 
And so obviously I'd rather have Hopkins. You know, I'm happy that Cooks, Blacklock, and David Johnson are on the team. Obviously I'm still going to cheer for them. But, you know, I don't know how you can do that to Nuke. It was just, it was just mind-boggling to me. What about you? Yeah, I, I think it's a very bad trade still. And, you know, the Texans traded. I think Hopkins is a top three receiver. And last year, like, his efficiency went down because they used him as a slot receiver to create easy first downs. And, you know, they have a big blind spot in the passing offense right now where they don't have a guy who can consistently beat man coverage and consistently create first downs, um, you know, for this offense. And, you know, even though it's Cooks, Johnson, and, you know, Blacklock, and they probably could even take him Blacklock at um, the pick that they had, you know, there at, I guess it was either 47, 57, yeah, 57. Yeah. They probably could have taken Blacklock there as well, too. So it doesn't even really feel like they maximized the draft capital they got by trading with Arizona to begin with, too, um, by making that pick. But yeah, like Hopkins is better than those three players, and I'd rather have Hopkins. And it's a shame he's in Arizona, but I'm sure he'll he'll do very good. And I do think the trade's not going to be as big as like a calamity as we kind of felt whenever it happened. I, and I learned that a lot last mm-hmm. year about whenever Clowning was traded, that you know, if you have a great quarterback, things probably are going to be okay. Uh, my brain just kind of like warped with after all those years of watching Texans with awful quarterback play. But whenever you have a great player like Watson, like it's going to be kind of impossible to bottom out. And uh, I think it'll be, they're gonna, their offense will be not as good as it would be with Hopkins, but it's not going to be a disaster at all. Yeah, I think it all comes down to scheme. And like you said with Watson, he's an elite quarterback. I think he's going to be one of the best in the game. He's going to win MVPs in his future. And he's the guy who he always elevates the talent around him. He did it at Clemson, and he's done it here. And he'll do it again with his wide receivers who, you know, they're not – it's not like we just brought in a bunch of nobodies. You know, Brandon Cooks is a good player. Fuller, when he's healthy, he's great. Stills has shown he's good. And Cobb, he still has a little bit of juice left, so he's definitely he definitely has enough weapons to work with. And like I mentioned before, it all comes down to scheme. If Bill O'Brien really buys into all this speed that he's added to the offense and he goes to a more vertical, deep passing offense that's more pass heavy than than his consistent first down runs, then you know he'll really be able to take advantage of those weapons. But if he sticks with what he's been doing last year and he has this quick pass offense, then it's going to look more of the same and fans are going to be really upset. Yeah, I completely agree. If, if I think the biggest thing holding this offense back has been the scheme and play calling. And if, uh, if he finally learned that, you know, last year and understands how great of a downfield thrower Watson is and kind of watch Kansas city and realize that throwing the ball downfield is good. Throwing the ball lots good. Um, hopefully that's what it's needed for. Maybe if that's what changed him, uh, the Texans offense will be a lot better. Um, regardless of the Hopkins trade. And, and really, like I think the only time to ever run the ball is if the defense has only six guys in the box or less. If they have like seven just throw the ball, there's no reason to run it at all, you know? Yeah, I think it's completely switched to a passing league, like we've mentioned before. And the whole establishing the run era, it's it's a fake. It's it's not real. It's you You don't run the ball to set up the pass. You pass the ball to set up the run. You want the defense to be scared. You want to go out with like three wide receivers, four wide receivers, and then you force the defense into nickel or dime. And then you can run the ball, like you said, when there's lighter boxes. Because especially when your offensive line, like we have a good pass blocking offensive line, but they're pretty bad at run blocking. They don't do a lot creative, like we've mentioned before. And they they're just they don't really stand out in that area. So you really have to run the ball when you do have a man-on-man advantage, like we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the offensive line is just really kind of a mismatch of styles. And I think it's kind of the biggest problem with them you know, this year, but at least they have a week one offensive line in place right now. Um, in the third round, the Texans stood still and they took Jonathan Greenard. 
Now, personally, this is my favorite pick of the Texans 2020 draft class. We talked about edge defenders. We talked about him. And one of the things I mentioned is like how good he is at understanding when a tackle is going to punch and timing his pass rush moves from there. And also like when the bull rush, based off that, um, he's really good as a run defender, getting off the ball and taking on half the defender and still being a competent run defender despite weighing 260 pounds. And you know, also like a lot of these kind of defensive players that get picked, uh, they have a body. They aren't a net negative at all in the game, but they just don't create any plays. And Greener's kind of the exact opposite where he had nine and a half sacks last year. He made a lot of plays last season. He's constantly creating pressure and disrupting the quarterback. And he's doing a lot of one versus one matchups. Like it isn't a fluky thing where the quarterback's throwing the ball 55 times and he gets a sack on, you know, the 53rd pass attempt when the game is, um, you know, 47 to 30 or something like that. Like he, he consistently has been able to um, beat offenses really well. And also like he has a good swim move. He has a good spin move and he can also use both moves as an outside rush and also as an inside rush. And so like, this was a, a slam dunk pick for me. I especially love it. Uh, what about you? Like, what are your thoughts on greener that he's a Houston Texan? Yeah, I love the greener pick. It was my favorite pick of the draft. I gave it an A plus and I really think it was the only pick that they didn't reach on. I think at 90, that was pretty perfect value. I know we've talked about him before in our Edge podcast and how he was kind of our top guy in the third round. And so it was kind of just crazy to me. I remember when I was following it on my phone, I was following the draft, I was refreshing Twitter, and we were on the clock. I was refreshing it as fast as I could, trying to see who we pick. And when it finally showed up that it was greener, I, I didn't believe it at first. Like I kind of forgotten what it felt to like to be happy with one of our <laughs> draft picks. Especially with last year. I don't know about you, but I hated basically every single pick. And it was just awful for me um but yeah so i was ecstatic with grenard and you wrote a great article about him today kind of showcasing everything that he brings to the table because he's not just a pass rusher he does a lot of other things and he's really smart your article talking about how intelligent he is that really opened up some eyes to me um but yeah my my favorite part about him is that how he wins without being a great athlete you know he's no one's gonna like um mistake him for like a Vic Beasley who's like flying off the off the screen with like really great burst or bend or whatever. He's not a great athlete, but he's still he's so nuanced in his pass pass rushing technique and his hand usage, like you said, that he gets the job done. And that's honestly a better way to for your production to translate to college than you just banking on being a greater athlete mm-hmm. than whoever's the guy in front of you. Because people in the NFL, those they're grown men, they're great athletes too. So you can't always out athlete them. And yeah, there was one play in particular that you posted um, it was like a half spin, like the Demarcus Ware half spin, and that was just nasty, man. I remember when I was seeing that for the first time, I was I jumped out of my seat. I remember, it was crazy. So yeah, I hope he he brings those those moves to the Texans, and yeah, I really like his fit with us. Yeah, I think I think whenever you talk about Bond too, you talk about rushing with a plan. Um, you know, Greener does exactly that, and like the fact mm. that he counters his counters is kind of like absolutely absurd. And if he was a better athlete, he would have been you know a second round pick or so. But just because the athletic profile isn't spectacular, and he's just a guy who knows how to play the game, makes it a little bit different. But I think in this Texans defense, he can compete with Brent Scarlett immediately to start at that left outside linebacker spot where he can play over right tackles. I think in you know set packages, he can be an edge rusher. Uh, it's gonna be weird to see what they do though. I you know he'll probably get he probably won't get too many snaps there because you have Merciless, you have Jacob Martin, you have JJ Watt. Hopefully, you know Watt. Um, feels comfortable enough with his body this upcoming season where he rushes more on the interior side of the ball and really helps with the interior pass rush because he'd be a lot better as a three technique or a four eye. 
uh, and then able to put, you know, Martin outside of him or Merciless outside of him too as well. So I, I think there's a lot of different things he can do. And I think he can start as early as this year and replace Brent Scarlett. Uh, do you think that's a possibility for Greener this year? Yeah, I definitely think talent-wise, he should be starting over Scarlett. My only concerns come in kind of schematically-wise because in our 3-4, so you've, yeah, you've got Merciless and you've got Scarlett on the outside. And obviously, he's not going to take Merciless' job. And with Scarlett, he'll play in the line of scrimmage, but a lot of the time, he's not actually rushing the passer. And so I think Grenard would definitely be fine with the run the run defense part. But when it comes to third down and if or second down even, and Scarlett's dropping back in coverage a lot of the time, more often than he's rushing the mm-hmm. passer, right? So I don't think, I mean, Grenard really didn't do that in college. I don't want him doing that for the Texans. So that's kind of my only worry for him schematically in our kind of 3-4 base defense. But uh, yeah, like what you said, I think he's definitely one of our, like, on third down, you need to get after the quarterback. He's one of our top four defensive linemen that you want out there. You want, ideally, for me, it's Jacob Martin and Grenard out on the edges with Watt on the interior, hopefully, and then either Omenahu, Jernigan, or Blacklock, whoever shows that they have the best pass rushing skills, or whoever's hot that day, mm-hmm. really, you can rotate them in. And so, yeah, I think that would be our best four, honestly. Yeah, and like, and one of the things, too, it's your pass catchers a little bit different, where pass catchers you can definitely have too many of, especially if their role is kind of like over, you know, flight with one another, and then you don't, you're not able to really develop a good act in the quarterback. And but you can never have enough pass defensive players. Like you can never have enough good quarterbacks. Yeah. You can never have enough good pass rushers. And like the Texans having, you know, Omanehu and Watt and Jernigan and Merciless and Martin and now Grenard, like that's a that's a good problem to have, even if none of them are like elite aside from Watt. Um and the rest of them can range from like fine to to interesting to extremely overpaid. They're at least like all competent <laughs> and uh and so I I think it's definitely like a really good problem to to have. And it's not like a great pass rush, but if Watt plays 16 games, you know, maybe it could be the 18th best pass rush or even like slightly above, you know, average. Yeah, I think like you said, they're pretty deep at that. So being able to rotate their edge rushers, it's going to be great. It's going to be great for Watt because we all know his body's breaking down on him. And it'd be great if he can play less snaps going down from his like 90, 80% to maybe around 60, 75 and getting him in there more on like the passing situations. Cause even last year he would play a lot and on the rundowns you, you saw like he was just a little bit disinterested. He wasn't putting in the amount of effort that he used to in his prime. And I get that you want to preserve yourself to the really big value passing downs. So hopefully if we have Grenard, we have Martin merciless, we can rotate Watt in and, and kind of save his body and, even kind of like load manage him almost for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's it's a great problem to have, like you said. Yeah, I think it's just trying to get 16 games out of Watt. And I wrote earlier this year, you know, like why I would only want him to play, you know, 25 snaps a game or so and just only use him yeah. for pass rushing situations. And like you mentioned, you know, he was just a net negative in the run game where he would you know, sit on his block and keep his gap, but he wasn't really making much of plays in the backfield like he typically does. And of course, the one time he really goes after against Oakley, he tears his peck and, you know, is out for the year, which is, you know, ironic how that ended up working out. But, you know, he's so, he's the key to the Texans pass rush entirely. And I would just save him for, you know, second and long, third and long. And, um, and against teams who are going to run more of a spread offense where they're going to throw the ball a ton just to try to stretch out, you know, how many snaps you can get out from a year over the course of a season instead of just having them all bunched in eight games or six games or five games or, you know, whatever he typically ends up playing. Yeah, I think that's a big thing for him. And 
Uh, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. Anyways, um, what's next? Yeah. So the next player here they selected was Charlie Heck in the fourth round. Uh, it took a entire like novel to get to drafting Charlie Heck. So the Texans traded back from uh, 111 to get 136 and 141 for Miami. Miami took offensive guard Solomon Kinley from Georgia at pick number 111. Then they traded 248 and 250 to move up from 136 to they. Then they traded 248 and 250 to move up to 136 to be able to take Heck. Um, so you gave this grade an, an F earlier. Why don't you like Heck at all? All right. So I said that Bill O'Brien, he was great about drafting for need early in the draft. and But then with this pick, it just seems like he completely fat-fingered it. I mean, it makes no sense to me. I mean, he must really, hate, really hate Roderick Johnson. Now, I was in favor of going offensive line, finding someone to compete with Fulton, but going offensive tackle made literally no sense to me. And then if you're going to take an offensive tackle, you have to at least take a good one. I mean, I've watched so many awesome offensive tackles over the past years when the Texans have needed tackle help, and heck, has to be the worst one that I've watched. It's insane. I mean, it was hard to find positives from him. The one thing that he has going for him is that he's got good length, he's got 34-inch arms, but the thing about that is it doesn't matter if you don't know how to use them, and he doesn't know how to use them. I rarely ever saw him punch a defensive lineman to really extend out his arms and use that length. And my biggest gripe about him is that he just plays soft. He doesn't look interested in, in blocking anyone. He looks like he's just like a stop sign out there just getting in the way of defensive linemen, just kind of not really playing with any nastiness to him. And um, yeah, some of, some of my other big things about him is that he doesn't play with good pad level. Him being 6'8 makes it really hard for him to bend down and get good pad level to be strong and bring some power to his game. And so that also neglect, negates him from moving into the interior, which is what a lot of people want. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like his pass pro. His kick sets were like, it was okay, but his feet aren't the quickest. And so a lot of the time what he would do is to make up for that lack of foot speed is he would just overset so much to the outside that he would leave the inside wide open. I saw him get beat a lot on inside moves. And so I think, you know, the idea of it is to compete with Rod Johnson for the swing tackle and maybe one day he can develop into something good, but I just, I don't see it at all. I don't get that in the fourth round. I think it was a major reach. Yeah, I uh, I think it's a good way to, to put it. He really seems like a legacy player to me, where like his dad was a former first-round pick. Um, he's really tall, he's really big, and that's really kind of like where it ends with him in his strength. Like he has long arms, and like he has a good foundation, you know, here. Like he has kind of a body that you'd want from an offensive tackle, but like he doesn't play like it. The only the only like thing that I, I guess the only nice thing I can say about him is that whenever he's pass protecting, he's able to meet the defensive end at the point of attack consistently enough. It's not like he's constantly turning to the to the end and opening up the window because he doesn't have this quickness to get out there at all. And like whenever you watch college offensive tackles, that's really the worst part about it is you see you know two kick slides and they turn and run because they can't get to that shoulder quick enough. And uh, you watch that over and over again and the ball's out in you know two seconds and and they give up yeah. zero and then PFF says like, oh they're great. They give up two pressures last year when none of these actually translates to the NFL at all. And that's just kind of me talking about you know, Max Sharping's uh, Miami tape in a way. But I think one of the funny things you mentioned was something about his like, tenacity. And I think the only like mean thing I saw him do is he drove block. He, like, they had a deuce block, but the guard had to pick up the blitzing linebacker. And so he was driving on the left edge of the tackle and was able to knock him over. And then like he you know plopped on top of him, but it was more like a pillow fight. Like it was a slumber party more than like you know, trying to be mean and nasty and really finish a block. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really see it at all. 
And I I think the thing about Heck too is, you know, if this is a project pick, this is somebody that you you know, put in the crock pot and open up the you know open it up, you know, a few years later and hopefully you have a swing tackle out of it. But the Texans don't really have a good track record of developing offensive linemen. You know, we saw what happened with Brand Brooks, he went to Philly, became, you know, the best guard in football. We saw what happened to Josh Allen when he came from Kansas City. Um Zach Fulton's a worse player than was than he was in Kansas City. You know, Martinez Rankin, they screwed around him with how they moved to a bunch of different positions. They did the same thing to you know, Julian Davenport too. Uh, Nick Martin went from like being really below average to like he does probably the most interesting stuff on the offensive line, uh, but he's not like a, a top five center or top ten center or anything. Not like he didn't really provide the what you'd expect for a second round center. And like Sharp being mm-hmm. the guard, Tyus Howard can play left tackle out of play right. And so like it's it, they don't really have the track record developing these sort of players. And so like if Heck went to you know Denver or if he went to Green Bay. Or if he went to you know Baltimore, uh, these teams that are really good developing offensive linemen. I would I would be like, yeah, that's I wonder what they're seeing in him, and I could see some sort of positive outlook for it. But because of all the problems that he currently has, and the Texans, you know what they've done with the offensive line prospects, uh, I don't I don't like that. I don't like this pick specifically because of that. Yeah, and another thing about Heck is the, all the trades that we had to do to get him. And I think Bill O'Brien, I think he thinks that he outsmarted the league here because what I'm thinking is that Heck was his guy all along at 111 in the fourth round. And then, like you said, he traded down, he got an extra fourth, and then he ended up trading back up to make the Heck pick. And in that trade, he gave away two of our, seven, two of our three seventh-round picks. And I think he did that... Purposely, okay, part of me believes that he did this purposely, part of me doesn't really know. But I think, like, all of this talk about rookies and them not being ready for training camp, so I think he just kind of wanted to get rid of those picks and not have to make them later. Because even, like you saw, he traded away our last seventh-round picks. We didn't have anything after the fifth round. So I don't know. I think he just he doesn't want to deal with as many rookies as possible. And you see that even more with the undrafted free agent class. We signed, I think it was just nine total, and usually that number's like 15 plus. So he just he's really down on rookies this year. So it'll be interesting to see if any of the rookies that we drafted are actually going to be able to compete or if he's not going to be able to believe in them at all. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And also like the amount of veterans they have on the roster as well too. Like they're going to have to cut players. Um, they're going to have to cut veteran players you know, going to training camp and or after training camp's over and like and they go into the regular season, they just don't have enough roster spots for even the veterans they have. And I and I wonder if that had to do with it as well too by um trying the seventh, not taking that last seventh. And you know, he's mentioned multiple times that this is a a uh, a veteran team for the mm-hmm. two thousand twenty season and who knows what's gonna happen with this whole you know COVID nineteen thing. So I'm looking here at offensive tackles that are six eight or greater. And, you know, one of the problems with Heck is that he's a real, like, waist bender. He doesn't really bend his hips at all. So he's constantly just, like, leaning over to blocks and isn't able to create, like, a lot of driver power. But uh, there's been 13 tackles since 2000 or 6'8 or greater. And that's Brandon Parker, Colton Miller, Mike McGlinchke, Orlando Brown, Dan Skipper, Connor McDermott, Cornelius Lucas, Luke Marquad, Roy Fragel, Nate Solder, Rich Lampholm, Sam Young, and Jerry Veltier. And so you're looking at, I guess, like six or seven players or so that were able to carve out some careers. And some of these have been really good offensive tackles at times, too. Uh, so it's not impossible for like a 6'8 tackle to be good. It just doesn't happen. You know, all that you don't see it happen very often. And you don't see 6'8 players play tackle that often. 
And, you know, Heck really has some, like, flexibility issues that are going to limit his ability to be able to play and be a swing tackle in the league right now. Yeah, a lot of people are, at least on Twitter, they're getting on me for, like, hating on the pick, giving it an F. And I don't want to hate this pick. Like, I have nothing personally against Heck. Like, of course, I would want all of our picks to do well and be able to give them all, like, A-plus grades. But that's just the reality of what it is. I, I don't personally think he's a good player. You know, I hope... He does develop into one. I would love to get another swing tackle. Obviously, I want all the talent possible on the football team. And, you know, like you said, there is there is some history to it. So it's possible. There's no reason to write him off right now until we see him play. So, yeah, that's I guess that's the main thing. Let's just wait and see with him and how he develops on the road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely somebody that they took now and maybe turns into a swing tackle. You know, Brian immediately says he can play left and right. And he'll never learn his lesson to offensive line linemen. Just, like, <laughs> have him learn one position well. And yep. then maybe from there, have him learn the other one. Um, he, you know, after Davenport, after Rankin, you think he'd he learn how it's not that easy just to go back and play, go from left tackle to right tackle to left tackle um, like that. So the next pick the Texans made was John Reed in the fourth round. Uh, when I watched Reed, I saw a guy who does a lot of things, but isn't particularly great any of them. He's also 24 years old too, but he has a good athletic profile. I think at a minimum, Reed can be a special teams player. But with a crowd cornerback group, it may be hard for him to even get on the roster. Uh, what's kind of your scouting report on Reed? Yeah, so really quickly, I thought that the Reed pick was a complete panic pick by Bill O'Brien. I really think that Amik Robertson was their guy. And I'm not just saying that because he was my guy. I really think that he was their guy because they met with him a lot of times throughout the, the draft process. And I mean, Bill O'Brien's got to love what he brings, you know, his tenacity, his like kind of bulldog mentality. So I really think Amik Robertson was their guy, but then he ended up going two or three picks before we were able to pick. And so I think Bill O'Brien panicked and he took the next player who was kind of in the mold of Amik Robertson in John Reed. And that's where I'll get into my scouting report is how Reed is, he's an undersized corner who played on the outside and inside in college. And he's obviously best suited for the nickel in the league and his whole reputation about him. I remember when the pick was tweeted out, his whole reputation was that he's this tough, like feisty defender. Who's a great tackler. And so that kind of just, that whole description kind of speaks about Amiko Robertson too, but Amiko Robertson does everything better at that than Reed does. Reed's mm-hmm. kind of just a really poor man's version of that. And so I think, I don't know. I like his versatility to play inside and outside, but I think it was a really big panic pick. Um, I don't know, because he's going to be mainly a nickel guy, and we've got Roby for that. That's where Bill O'Brien wants to play Roby. And we've even got Hargraves for that, too. So having a third nickel guy, I just I don't really see the point in this pick. Yeah, and Robertson went 139 to Oakland as well. Um, I don't yeah. I don't really see him as being like really tough or physical, though. Like There's a lot mm-hmm. of balls that he's not able to impact at the catch point, despite being a good area for it. There's a lot of times that he gets blocked when he's trying to make a tackle. Um, you see it happen to him sometimes, too, where you have guys running past him, and it seems like he almost kind of shies away from contact. You don't see him to deliver like some really big hits either. So I don't really understand the physicality thing. Like I think it's an easy thing to say whenever a fifth-round pick gets taken, and you can just you know copy and paste tough, physical, you know, whatever. But I don't really see that whenever Reed actually steps on the field. The only, the only time I saw him being physical is when he's in coverage down the field, which is not when you want to be physical. Mm-hmm. He was one of the more grabby corners that I saw, and he got away with it from what I've seen from his tape. But I don't know. His cover skills, they're decent. They, like you said, he just he's good at he's decent at a lot of things but doesn't stand out in anything. And I guess that's what you're going to get with, with a fifth-round pick. So I don't know. For me, scheme-wise, the one thing I could see him being uh, helpful with is remember in the Pats game where we had Roby 
he would want him kind of as like a dime linebacker and over the running back and kind mm-hmm. of in man on man. And he like he had that nice blitz where he got the sack. And I think that might be where Reed's role can be playing defense other than special teams. I think he can do that in man on man because he's like quicker than he is fast, so he can kind of keep up with those running backs. And we need a guy like that to cover running backs one-on-one man coverage because our linebackers absolutely suck on that. And you really don't want Roby to have to do that full-time. Mm-hmm. You want him to be on like your slot receiver or one of your other receivers. So I think that's that could be possibly where Reed plays if Weaver wants to get creative like that again. What do you think about that? Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. And you have he's like a, a Buffalo you know, nickel and covering, covering running backs in the backfield. Um, I just don't – I don't know. I just think there's so many cornerbacks, and I don't really see – like him really having an impact in in that spot. And I think he also kind of goes along with, you know, this is somebody the Texans know. Bill O'Brien's known him since he was like in yeah. high school or whatever. Uh, I think it was when I was watching the game video, like O'Brien was actually on the sideline, like visiting Penn State on uh, whenever he was playing Pittsburgh last year. And the other thing about Reed is that he's 24. And so like he knows, he understands his, his technique. Like he understands what he should be doing. And Penn State, you know, have him do like everything from, like break down the on the crossing route on an under call. He was able to sit down and be a flat defender. He covered the hook. He was able to turn and zone run. And he was never like really out of place at all and didn't like blow his assignment at all. And so I think like going back to this being a veteran, you know, class, like Reed's already pretty much a veteran. Like he's 24 years old. Like he's older than some guys who, or he's just as old as some guys who already have three years of experience in the league too. And so I think he's just kind of like a polished guy and, you know, they're in the fifth round, they and they still don't have like a, they have a lot of names at cornerback, but it's not necessarily a great cornerback group. So I don't know. I just I just see him kind of as a special teams player, and I don't even know if he'll even make the fifty three man roster and may end up like Xavier Woods or countless other late Texans corner or cornerback picks who, you know, get released after a season or in the middle of one season, bounce around the league and don't really find a home. Yeah, I think you're completely right with him. I think he was Bill O'Brien's kind of safe pick, kind of a guy he had in his back pocket. And because of his connection with the Penn State, and like you said, he's going to be a special teamer mainly. And one thing I was found interesting is that people are saying that he can return kicks. I don't know. I didn't see any of that on film, but that could be one place where he also contributes. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of confidence in DeAndre Carter. I really hope they bring oh, in no. someone else to compete with him. Yeah. So maybe Reed's that guy. Who knows? Like I was fine with Carter until he dropped that kick against Kansas City. And yeah. after that, like, I don't know how you can even bring him back again. You know, like that, ha- I felt like that should have been it. And he can't return kicks anymore. And you can't have that, you know, bad magic um, after, after that whole sort of thing happened. Yeah. And that wasn't like the first time he did it either. And like all the other times before, like, okay, they were in kind of more less meaningful games. But then in this, in the biggest game of the season, in the biggest game in recent history, he has a completely momentum shifting fumble there that from that point on, and it was going, it was going kind of bad even before that, but from that point on, it really broke the Texans and you can really see, and that kind of actually leads into one of my points I've been kind of bringing up on my own, I guess, is that the Texans are such a momentum heavy team. Mm-hmm. And you know, when things are all going great for them, it's, it's great. But then the second that something goes bad for them, they can't recover and it's just all downhill. And it's kind of like how, in the Broncos game, like when things were going bad, everything was going bad. In the Ravens game, the same thing. Like they have no way of recovering. And it's the same with the Chiefs. Like they went up real big. They had all the momentum in the world. Things were going their way. You know, they had the block punt and all that. And then it just completely switched and everything went in the Chiefs' favor and they had no way to recover from that. So, yeah, something I was kind of like talking about, kind of just not talking about, but kind of having in the back of my mind. Do you think the Texans are a really big like momentum team? 
Yeah, I don't even know how much momentum exists, but I think against like really good teams, sometimes they just like the Broncos aren't a really good team, but uh, Kareem mm-hmm. Jackson, you know, played uh, Cal Monte Cristo against them in God's Revenge, but uh, there it's more like against really good teams. Sometimes there's whenever the talent is imbalanced and they can't lean on their talent, you really show like how they're out coached and they're out schemed and how. You know, they don't really do things interesting all to take advantage of opponents, you know, weaknesses and that sort of thing. And it happens every once in a while. Like sometimes O'Brien's a really great game plan. I like the New Orleans game, like the Patriots game, like that first Kansas City game. But then when something works, I think he sticks to it for too long. And whenever there's a, a talent mismatch, like the Chiefs passing offense against the Texans pass defense, he doesn't have like the wherewithal to uh to scheme and kind of bridge that gap. And so whenever there's big talent disparities, um, I think we see kind of games happening against Baltimore, Kansas City, you know? Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think he's definitely a pretty stubborn coach where he, he'll come up with a game plan before the game and he'll stick to that and he won't. My big thing with him, my big thing with him that and separating him from the higher level coaches that, like you said, he doesn't make any adjustments. You know, a lot of teams, they'll get better as the game goes on because their coach figures things out, figures out tendencies, figures out what to do and how to adjust and how to beat the other team. It kind of plays like a game within the game, you know, and, I, and I've really never, ever seen that from Bill O'Brien. And yeah, I think that's one of the major things. Like, you can complain about his, his lack of awareness with, like, timeouts and the clock management, but I think his biggest thing is just not being able to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's something that he can really... Like, it takes time to work on, I guess, but I haven't seen any semblance of him be able to do that. Yeah, and it's been seven years, too. And I think O'Brien yeah. can develop, like, plays going into a game, and then, but that's, like, what he has. Like, he has, like, five or six, like, cute plays that, you know, may work, whatever, like that fake screen pass against Kansas City or whatever. But after, mm-hmm. like, those, like, five or six plays that he's developed kind of go through, uh, then you go back to power run, first down, power run, second down. Uh, put DeAndre Hopkins in the slot and get first down, you know. And so there isn't that much change up uh, throughout the game. So the last pick here the Texans made was in the fifth round. They drafted Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island. He's six foot two, 198 pounds. He has a pretty interesting athletic profile. There really isn't anybody else like him that's been drafted. His closest comparison is Stephen Goodry from Mississippi State in this class at 84.7%. According to Mock Draftable, and everything I've read is that he's going to be a slot receiver. Personally, I haven't had the time to take a look at him, so... Uh, go ahead and give me your scouting report because I don't want to you know, fill the listeners' ears with a bunch of lies at all or anything. Right, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, for Coulter, he wasn't, I'm like okay with the pick. He wasn't who I wanted. There were some other wide receivers on the board like Donaldson Peoples-Jones, Isaiah Hodgins that I wanted more. But when I sat down and watched his game, I understood where Bill O'Brien's philosophy is going. And it's with the whole offense adding more speed and all of his wide receivers being fast. And he ran a 4 but the thing with that is I don't see it translating too well on tape. I don't think he's a burner like a Fuller or a Cooks. He's probably on like Stills level and maybe even a bit slower than him. Um, but the thing with him is that he's a very like a, he's a developmental wide receiver. He kind of reminds me of Vincent Smith being a small school guy who he's got the height, he's got the speed, he's got good length, but he just he hasn't put it all together yet. And his main thing is his route running. He's a pretty raw route runner. I liked it. I didn't mind his releases at the line of scrimmage. I thought he got a bit fancy with them at times, but his main thing is that he struggles at the top of his routes, at the stem of his routes, when he has to make an, a break in them. And so a lot of times on like ins, outs, or curls where he has to make a sharp, sudden cut, 
he wasn't able to do that. And his problem there is that he didn't get low and drop his weight and kind of what coaches say is like sit in a chair mm-hmm. where you kind of bend your knees and you get your, like you drop your hips real low. And that's how you kind of explode in and out of your cuts. And he didn't do that. But, and so he found it really hard to kind of get open on those routes. And so the thing with that is that at least that's a pretty coachable thing. I think at least with Andre Johnson, you know, he knows everything about being wide receiver and what it takes to be great at that. So I think he'll be a good guy for him to learn from. And that's a pretty simple fix, like I said. But at least for the time being, before he learns how to really run routes, he can be kind of a guy who just runs goes, uses speed there, kind of runs like posts and corners and slants, like little simple route tree stuff like that. So I don't, I don't hate the Coulter pick, but I don't love it either. Uh, so I have two questions for you about Coulter. The first is, who do you think he's going to compete with? Because Texans do have a lot of draft, uh, a lot of pass catchers, and some are kind of redundant. Like you think about like Fuller and Cooks are kind of similar. Uh, Stills is kind of similar that way too, and like QD and Cobb are similar as well. Like who is uh, Coulter and compete with for the Texans pass catchers? And also, do you think there's any chance that he actually makes the 53 man roster too? Um. Okay. First, I think in terms of who he's going to compete with. I think his kind of competition is Stills. Um, one sec, I put out a tweet talking about, okay, yeah. So this is how I kind of classify the Texans wide receivers, not in like a depth chart way, but just kind of in their role and their game. And so I think Cooks and Fuller are similar in the way that they're elite deep threats and they're pretty good route runners. And then I think there's Stills and Coulter. I don't know how to pronounce it perfectly, but yeah, that they're kind of like, they're solid deep threats. They're not amazing, but they're more of like possession-y guys who aren't really great route runners. And then you've got Cobb and QT, who are pure slot guys. And then you've got DeAndre Carter and one of their undrafted free agent wide receivers, Tyler Simmons, who they're kind of like your gadget guy, your return man. So I think his main competition is going to be with Stills on the outside. I don't really see him playing in the slot. He's not that quick. Um, in terms of making the roster, I think he'll make it just on the fact that he's a fifth-round pick. And they usually make the roster, uh, unless they're really bad. And I don't know, I guess... The main thing is if he's going to be able to pick up the playbook because he is kind of from, where is he from? Rhode Island. So I guess there's a little bit of a hard transition there. If he can pick up the playbook, I think he'll make the team, though. Okay. Uh, who are some of the other receivers you liked at this spot? Yeah, so I really liked there was Donovan Peoples-Jones. He was from Michigan. And I guess he fell, people are saying, because of his injury concerns and his lack of production. But that's because he had Shea Patterson as his quarterback, who was one of the worst football or one of the worst quarterbacks in college football last year and I guess his injury is something to watch out for but he was a really great guy that I wanted to dust yet he was a great athlete I had like a second round grade on him I think that's what the consensus was he's a good athlete great route runner really great hands in contested scenarios and then another guy I really liked was Isaiah Hodgins he's from Oregon State and he's a big guy he was 6'4 like 210 and he the thing with him is he's a big guy he's got great like length and jump ball skills he can do that which we're also sorely missing but then he's also one of the better route runners in the class. He was really great at running double moves. I loved a lot of his like slant and goes. Um, he had a really creative route tree. So yeah, those are the two guys that I really wanted over Coulter. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, he like based on everything you said, it sounds like he's kind of somebody can keep compete with Stills, where he's like a downfield guy, but you know, maybe can break off of some comebacks and and that sort of thing. But he does, he's not like an elite downfield guy enough to um, really compete yeah. with Cooks and Fuller at all. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to take a look at him tomorrow. Hopefully there's some decent video. His profile is weird just because there really isn't like a lot of tall, fast guys like this uh, with with like small hands and small arms too. So it'll be kind of fun to watch him. 
So we have some listener questions from tonight. The first one is from at nobody FR cares, which is kind of mean, but uh, his question <laughs> was, who is the best pick based on value of the player and place they were chosen? And they also asked for some comparisons for each pick. I think we'll both agree that our favorite kind of value pick based on where they were selected was um, John the Grenard from Florida. Uh, are you with me on that one? Yeah, 100%. And I, I know that you absolutely despise player comparisons, but are there any comparisons that really kind of stand out to you uh, in the Texas draft class right now? Huh, um, I guess my main one, Grenard, I kind of see some Whitney Merciless in him and the fact that he's not a crazy athlete. He's not like he's not going to overwhelm you with that, but he's a pretty good technician. You know, Whitney Merciless, when he was not the past year, he didn't show it as much, but in the years prior, when he was still pretty good in his prime, he showed a good array of pass rush moves and good technique. So I kind of see that with Grenard. Um, but Blacklock, I don't know. He's kind of just a weird player, like we've talked about. Like, there's not really anyone to compare him to. He's just kind of like a, a ticking time bomb. Like, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I think the only good one. Or even halfway decent one I could give you is Grenard and Merciless. Yeah, I was gonna say the exact same thing. When I was watching Grenard, I was just kind of like mad at how much he reminds me of Whitney Merciless, you know. But uh, <laughs> you know, Merciless has a two-year contract. Maybe he can take over to a spot in you know 2023 if the the world is still spinning and everything. But I, again, I think like with Blacklock, what's interesting to me is I like whenever you watch these guys for the NFL draft and watch these prospects, you have to extrapolate like, what are they going to do in the pros and what, the, what could their role be? And it gets a lot easier after they've been drafted, but even with Blacklock in Houston, like I have no idea what he could be like, what he could do um, and how they're going to use him at all. I think he's kind of like a more of a raw player. Who's just going to be like a one gap disruptor until he kind of uh, gets the rest of his game kind of taught by Curtis Weaver and the rest of the coaching staff. But I don't have a good comparison for him or, anybody else you know I guess Charlie Heck I could sit here and say like name one of these uh big offensive tackles who you didn't make in the NFL and you mm. call him like Cornelius Lucas but I don't know anything about Cornelius Lucas and yeah. I'm sure I'm sure he's a perfectly fine guy who doesn't even need to be brought in this comparison you know yeah I don't have anything for Heck I would just say that he's a bad offensive a, t- a bad tall offensive tackle uh Ruth Reed I actually Vernon Hargraves might not be the worst com- comparison. He's a slot guy who Tampa has tried to play outside a little. He's another guy who's not like that great of a tackler. He's not amazing in coverage. He's just kind of like like an all-around guy, but like that's not good at anything. So maybe that could be a comparison for Reed. Yeah. Um, so the next question we have is from at Sam Bissett. And he said, what do you make of his uh, Bill Bryan's logic for leaving roster spots open for more vets? rather than UDFAs because of a shortened season. Draft capital was limited anyway, but he seems to be taking the philosophy further than most coaches. And he said that the Texans draft only five players, only signed nine UDFAs. Uh, do you see some logic in this idea? I get where he's coming from. I get that it's hard to trust rookies normally and then even harder without the rookie minicamp. But I do think he's kind of taking it to an extreme, trading away a lot of our picks. Like we went in tonight with, eight or seven and only end up with five so i think i don't know i think he got a little bit too fancy with all of his trades and i think he could have he left some talent on the board where he could have taken some rookies who could have produced well so yeah i think he's i think he's a little in over his head and he's i think he's i think he thinks he's outsmarting the league with this whole veteran movement Mm -hmm. yeah and next year the texans have their third round pick a fourth from arizona their fourth round pick a fifth round pick a six from Miami, a six from New Orleans, their own six-round pick and a seventh-round pick. 
And so next year is whenever the Laramie Tensel, you know, bills really become due. And then you really won't even see the effects on the roster until it's like 2024. And I, I really want, if Bill O'Brien's still head coach, then like I'm excited for me, the Ryan Grigson thing where, you know, it's really hard to build a roster when you're paying your quarterback and left tackle $60 million. <laughs> Uh, cause I'm, I'm expecting for that to happen within in the next three years or so, as long as he's still the head coach. And the last question is from at smooth grandma, uh, one of the best friends of the podcast. And he asked some questions about UDFAs and I haven't watched any of them. I tend not to watch UDFAs. I just, you know, I'll read a book instead. And mainly because a lot of these guys we're excited about don't really make an impact in the regular season. And it's kind of like getting worked up over, you know, second half players in the first preseason game where, you know, once week one occurs, you never hear from these guys at all. Uh, but Smooth Ramble asks, low-key, really low-key, I like the overall strategy, trade back for two-fourths, then trade back up to get rid of all the seventh-round picks. So we only have five picks for next year, but we always have two, three UDFAs and that we really hope make the team. So let's talk about those guys. And he named three guys. The first guy, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name at all, but it's Alou Fohai and then Scotty Phillips and Tyler Simmons. Uh, do you like these three players? Do you know who they are? Yeah, so I've kind of I'm with you. I don't really like to do a deep dive into UDFA's, but I kind of took the bait this year. I looked at all those three guys that he mentioned. The first one, he's a big defensive tackle. I could only find um, some YouTube highlights on him, so I couldn't find any actual games because he goes to a pretty small school. But I liked what I saw. He's a big, strong guy. He was quick for his size. And what I like to see is that these small school prospects they usually like dominate on lower competition because they're just such better athletes. But he, he showed a good ability to stack blocks and shed them, have good hand usage. So I'm a little intrigued by him. He's kind of interesting. And then Scotty Phillips, I wrote an article about him. I liked him a lot, actually. Um, he didn't have a lot of 2019 tape, but his 2018 was really good. Um, I Two games I really loved from him were against LSU and Alabama. And so that's great to see because that's pretty much the best competition you can get mm-hmm. in the college level. And so what I liked about him is that he had really good vision for a college back. I think he was really great at setting up his blocks. They ran a pretty gap, um, sorry, a power scheme, same thing, I guess, where they would have a lot of pulling offensive linemen. And he was really great at being patient behind the line of scrimmage, kind of waiting and letting his blocks develop and kind of manipulating them, manipulating the defense to where he can open up a hole and, and he'll hit that hole. And when he gets to that hole, he'll hit it real quick. He's got some good jump cuts and decent elusiveness and, and some toughness. I saw him like dragging some defenders. So he could be an interesting name. The Texans, they do kind of need a third running back because right now it's Buddy Howell, and I don't think anyone has any confidence in him. So we can see Scotty Phillips compete with Buddy Howell and Karan Higdon, who's another undrafted free agent running back from last year. And then I guess the last guy is Tyler Simmons, and he was kind of he was interesting to me. I think he's more he's another speed guy. He didn't test um, in college, but his high school one was a four four one forty yard dash, which is high school. So make of that what you will, but. Um, yeah, he's another speed guy. He's a gadget guy, though, unlike Coulter, where he's going to do – he did a lot of handoffs. He was a wide receiver for Georgia, and so he did a lot of handoffs for them, like jet sweeps, orbit motion, stuff like that. And he was pretty good in open space. He definitely – he's fast for sure. I think he's faster than Coulter. And he – what else did he do? He returned punts for them. And so I think with him, he's going to be the main competition for DeAndre Carter because he yeah. kind of does what everything DeAndre Carter does, but better. He's kind of that gadget guy. And um, a comp for him – that Carlos Flores, a fellow Battle Red blog writer, he gave me is Cordero Patterson. And I really see that. He's kind of more of a running back than a wide receiver. He's someone you just, he's not a good route runner. He just, you want to get the ball in his hands and, and he'll do work in open space. So 
that's all about those undrafted free agents. Interesting. Well, at least those three guys at least sound interesting and kind of fun, and maybe they can uh, have an impact. I, I, you know, read the Sky Phillips article today and really enjoyed it. I, I do really like his vision and his ability to, like, once he sees the block and sets it up, his ability to kind of take off from there and even break some tackles too. Um, Carlos did ask for our um, the emotional roller coaster was the heck trade, and uh, I didn't, mine was kind of like we were talking the Discord. And then Kenneth popped on and said they traded up and took Heck. And he also mentioned that was a guy we were kind of laughing about uh, whenever we did yeah. our round two podcast as well. So it was kind of funny to hear his name pop up again. And and then we kind of watched some video and stuff from there. But, you know, I've I've kind of just, you know, I'm a little bit older. And so I'm kind of numb to, you know, the heartstrings getting really tugged, except very occasionally. And I didn't really feel much at all. It never happened. I just thought it was hilarious that we kind of casually dismissed him and laughed about him. And uh, now he's going to... Now we may see, you know, Heck play in Houston for the next, you know, four years or so. Who knows? Yeah, I guess I was a little bit of the opposite of you. I guess I'm still, I still haven't learned my lesson. I'm still going to fall in love with draft po- draft prospects every year, and it'll burn me every year. And this year, this year was pretty bad because all my guys, like, you know, I love Grant Delpit, Zach Bond, Amik Robertson. Those are my three main guys, and they were all available to us mm-hmm. at so many of our picks. At 40, we could have had Delpit or Bond. And then Bond was falling. I think he got ended up taken in the 70s. And I would have been happy if we traded up from 90 to take him. I can't believe he fell that far. I guess his his um he had like a diluted sample or whatever. But and then Amik Robertson, yeah. So with the Charlie Heck pick, we were right there at 111. And I really thought Amik Robertson was going to be the guy. I thought he was perfect. There was great value there, and I was going to love that pick. And everything would be perfect. And then we traded down. And I was really confused, and it was a bit of a of an emotional roller coaster for me with how we traded down and then up. And I thought when we traded up, it's like okay, well, Brian, Meek Robertson's still on the board. He's gonna go get his guy. He loves him. He's okay, fine. <laughs> he traded away two seventh picks. That's fine. It's a good price to pay to get your guy if it's a Meek Robertson, you know. And then it wasn't him, and it killed me too. And just losing out on those three guys when. It's one thing to lose out on them when they get drafted a higher higher than like you think they would have. That's fine. That's, that doesn't hurt as much. But when they're right there on the board for you to take, that's when it really hurts. So yeah, hopefully I'll learn it eventually. I doubt it, but yeah. Yeah, you just need to you know spin around the sun a few more times, and it will change <laughs> probably a little bit. But yeah, that's pretty fun. I felt as soon as uh, they took Heck, I was like, I feel so bad for Jordan right now for him at least not getting a meek. And it was weird watching Bond fall to the third round. I guess teams, either the uh, Lewis sample affected him or teams may feel like his athletic potential is kind of capped out and, you know, he is what he is. And uh, and then the second round with Delpit, you know, I can understand it, that not taking a safety and, you know, with everything that happened kind of today, it seems like Delpit would be a good fit and maybe making a little bit more sense than Blacklock now. Um, especially concerning Blacklock's fit and everything. But so overall, what's your what's your grade for the Texans 2020 NFL draft class? Uh, I guess overall I give it maybe a B. You know, for I gave so I gave Blacklock a B plus, I gave Grenard an A plus, Heck an F, and then Reed and Coulter, I gave them both B. So I don't really know how you average out letter grades, but B I basically give them a B. Yeah. So basically, my like, if I were to sum it up in one sentence, it's the fact that it could have gone worse. You know, we could have taken a quarterback, a tight end, another fullback, or a kicker or a punter. We didn't <laughs> do any of that, luckily. So it could have gone worse. Yeah, I I would give it a B as well too. Like I think Blacklock's fine. I think it fills a need. I'm just glad that it was Blacklock instead of like I mentioned before. Like it was Blacklock instead of Epinesa or Terrell Lewis. And then uh, mm-hmm. and I love the Grenard pick and. 
you know, everything else from that point on is kind of whatever. Like if they took Robertson instead of Charlie Heck, that probably would move me up like to a B plus or so. Uh, but because the Heck pick is just weird and, you know, again, like I don't really, I, the Texans don't have a track record developing offensive linemen, you know, very well at all either. Um, so I give it a B as well too. But anyways, yeah, that, that really will, tanked it. Sorry. That really tanked it for me. And if, if, if uh, we did take a meek with that, that would probably give me like an A plus. If we got one of my guys <laughs> and we still got Grenard and we addressed needs well, because that was really the only pick that didn't address needs well. So yeah, if we got a meek, that would have been that would have given me an A plus. Yeah, the the one draft that really hurt my feelings was in fourteen. Whenever you know the Texans went two and fourteen in thir- two thousand thirteen, yeah. and like I spent like I don't know like three months just reading about quarterbacks and watching quarterbacks and stuff, and then. Yeah, you know, I was like, just draft Bridgewater at one. Who cares? And then whenever he fell all the way out of, like around the end of the first round, it's like, they're just going to give him tomorrow. And I was so excited. And then the Vikings trade yeah. up. And, you know, I was devastated. Like, I was more upset about some of the stuff, more upset about that than the more important stuff in my personal life at the time. And from that point on, it's been, you know, kind of hard for me to, uh, you know, get too worked up about, you know, anything at all regarding sports. But uh, that was the one that really hurt, though. And, you know, it was bizarre, too, because the Texans took, you know, Savage and, there was like three starting quarterbacks out of that class, and uh, both of them didn't happen in the first round. And like, if you take Bridgewater, you don't deal with Fitzpatrick and Ryan Mallett and Brian Hoyer and all these other sore guys too. And mm-hmm. you know, Bridgewater's had a weird career, and I'm excited to see what he does in Carolina. And you know, his entire career has been kind of decimated by that awful knee injury, where his, his whole leg exploded. And hopefully, it's strong, and he has a, a good career from this point on. Yeah, that's interesting to look at. That if we took Bridgewater, we wouldn't have to dealt dealt with that long list of awful quarterbacks but then if you look at it that way then we wouldn't have been in the position to draft watson i guess mm-hmm. we would have still been rocking with bridgewater and so if you look at it that way i guess it's all worth it that because i think i don't like bridgewater's great don't get me wrong but i think i don't think anyone will argue that watson's not a better quarterback than bridgewater right now so i'm happy with how it turned out for sure yeah for yeah i mean for sure watson's better i guess the, the only thing is like you would have at least maximized watts prime and if you took clowny 1.1 you could have you maximize like that really great defensive run that they had that was yeah. constantly you know wasted by awful quarterbacks and you know Watt's never going to be like an MVP player again and that was wasted because of the quarterback decisions they made and also like part the worst thing about that era too was just how boring the football was to watch where it's like mm-hmm. twenty to sixteen and they're all close games but nothing like really interesting happens aside from you know Watt and and uh, you know DeAndre Hopkins doing unbelievable stuff and. You know, at least with that quarterback on a rookie contract, you would have had you know, more fun football and maybe the chance to maximize like a really good defense. And they did have a good o- offensive line in 2015 and stuff too. But it's whatever. Ever, all that happened before, and uh, what happened just now in the Central Draft was was pretty good. I get all, I give like I said, I give it a gold B, and like you mentioned, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I'm definitely. I think Bill O'Brien this is his first official draft where he was a lone guy, and I think. You know, at least at least everything didn't blow up in his face. You know, I think most fans are pretty happy with it. The media is grilling us, but you know what? That's we're just the joke of the NFL right now. So that's that's just how it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, nothing's going to really change that aside from maybe getting past the divisional round and uh, and maybe even that may be flying too close to the sun. But who knows? So, anyways, that's our show for tonight. Uh, we'll be back on soon, maybe later this week, and talk about kind of the league as a whole. Um, may, I don't know what we're going to do for shows moving forward. I have some ideas lined up, but football's kind of over now. It's kind of like sit back and enjoy the summer, and we'll pop up here and there on the podcast, but it won't be like a bi-weekly show at all anymore probably. 
until uh, we get closer to you know August and team previews and things. But it's been a really fun nine months. It's been finding you on the podcast as well to Jordan and all the draft stuff is really great. Uh, until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. And thank you for being on side, Jordan.